Welcome to Veterans in Academics. This podcast highlights people and topics where the veteran experience and academia overlap. Join your host, Dr. Luke McLeese, in this groundbreaking content. Each week, we explore new stories, topics for you. All right, welcome to another episode of Veterans in Academics. I'm your host, Dr. Luke McLeese. And with me today is a very, very special guest who's going to speak to all of you. And he is coming from Canada today, Daryl Cathcart. Daryl, thank you so much for being on the show, my friend. Dr. McLeese, thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. And thanks for adding some, some international flair from north of the border. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Absolutely. We've got to, we've got to, you know, us in North America, we, we need to take care of each other closely. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> no, actually everywhere. We should all take care of each other, but, but you know, neighbors, we've got to be neighbors. So Daryl, I'm very excited to get this uh, episode started, sir. And I'm very excited for you to, to talk about kind of your experience and everything that's going on in Canada and uh, can we start off by just telling the listeners a little bit about yourself, sir? Yeah, certainly. Um, so, so Daryl Cathcart, I, uh, I recently retired from the Canadian Armed Forces, uh, uh, formerly a Canadian uh, Army Infantry Officer, and uh, I'm just about to finish up my uh, Doctorate of Education, where I study uh, veterans and, and veteran transition. Awesome. All right. Education Doctorate. Okay, so we're we're... We're, we're on the same wave level here. So this is great. All right, Daryl. So Daryl, so great. So you've had a, a great career as an infantry officer in the Canadian Army. Uh, you have obviously been through higher education and now you're hooking and jabbing him with uh, doctoral level work and, and everything in between. So sir, tell me with all this sum total of everything, what do you see that uh, veterans are doing well in higher education at the moment? Well, you know, uh Luke, thank, that's a great question because Canada is in a unique uh, position. Like we're on the precipice of change um, as there's a building recognition um, surrounding the challenges and the population of military connected or military affiliated students uh, and learners here in Canada. This is an emerging area for us uh, from exploring the, the K-12 sector and what that means to be a military connected student you know, those younger learners um, through, through higher education. But what I would say that veterans in, in Canada are doing well is that they're enrolling in, in both college and university um, because recently in 2018, we had a, a federally sponsored education and training benefit that was released. So we have the data now on, on veterans using that and veterans enrolling in, in, uh, in higher education. You know, really, th there's a significant gap in Canadian scholarly and, and societal attention surrounding military-connected uh, learners, which dates back to the end of the Korean War. You know, and, and really, the, those mass demobilization periods of the you know, of the 20th century is where education and funding stopped for all um, military connected students. While Veterans Affairs Canada, VAC as we call it, 
you know, they had an enduring mission to take care of ill, injured and wounded uh, soldiers. The education and training benefit for, for all just, just evaporated until the, the release in 2018. So we see that the enrollment rate in this program um, in the last two years is, is significant. With about 5,000 regular force uh, members leaving the Canadian Armed Forces every year, we know that the numbers are around 7,300 who applied for the education and training benefit, which has manifested into to over 5,300 veterans who are enrolled in, in college, university, a flight school, or even shorter certification programs. So with this in mind, uh, I would say veterans are, are applying and pursuing higher education, you know, that's something that's being well done. We, we don't have data prior to 2018, but I'm highly optimistic that these individual um, challenges will lead to a fostering a, a stronger sense of post-military and meaningful employment for, for Canadian veterans. So I, I would say that that's being well done, the, the use of that benefit. That's awesome. That's awesome. You know, it, it's interesting though. It's interesting that you're saying post-Korean War, uh, you know, there's a void there. Uh, but I, I tell you from that void, and I think right now what you're expressing to me is, you know, people have been given this and, and you're really at an area where you can capitalize on the potential of what lies ahead, you know, and, and maybe what's exciting to me to think about as you were talking is maybe Canada can circumnavigate some of the pitfalls that other countries have had surrounding, you know, the military and, and veteran education benefits. Um, also, I think what is amazing and, and great because not all nations are doing this is even though this new program that you spoke about uh, is fairly young, you're already collecting data. There's a lot of countries who simply don't have the data to, to measure, you know, who's using what benefits and, and how far are they taking it. And so the fact that Canada is doing this, that's, that's a huge plus. Yeah, it's, it's working out uh, quite, quite well right now. You know, the, 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 the benefit itself is quite robust. It's only for the veterans. So there are no familial uh, benefits to it. Okay. But, you know, it's up to eighty-three thousand uh, dollars if you served twelve or more years, um, and if you served six between six and twelve years, uh, it's it hovers around forty-two thousand um, dollars. You know, with the cost of higher education uh, in Canada, very similar to, to the United States. Um, you know, those those amounts certainly um, you know can, can position a, a veteran to to get an undergrad, to get a graduate degree. Um, it's, it's a really robust benefit and factored into that, uh, into those amounts are, are a very small living stipend. You okay. know, I, I don't want to confuse that with the, with the, you know, the GI bill. Um, but it certainly, uh, you know, takes a lot of that financial burden away from veterans entering post-secondary or, or higher education. It's quite robust. Wow. Yeah. Those are, those are some, some great numbers, uh, especially when you're mentioning the 12 years or more being in. I mean, that, that, is, that, that can set someone up. Uh, of course, like you mentioned, uh, with Canada's higher education costs being like the United States, people need to be mindful where their money's going, <laughs> right? That's right. <laughs> they, can't, they can't go out and buy Gucci bags with it. But, <laughs> um, 
if if used correctly, someone could stretch that very far. That's right. That's, That's right. Exciting. It's a pretty good benefit. Yeah, absolutely. So, Daryl, on the flip side of this, uh, what is something that veterans could be could be doing better or improving upon in higher education? You know, Canada is a, a, a unique country, and I'll probably say this a couple of times. You know, um, you know, we're, we're quietly patriotic. Uh, we're very proud of our military, but in, in a much more reserved manner, um, you know, I believe that than other nations around the world. That's not good. That's not bad. That's just the way uh, our national persona, you know, so what, what could veterans in higher education do better really are, are two things. It, it's, it's self-advocate and shape understanding. And, you know, I see these, these two elements as, as mutually supportive and a byproduct of a couple of things. Um, first, given the, the, the gap in education and training sponsorship, um, there's a lack of educator awareness uh, across the country. You know, so it's important for veteran students um, to be their own voice and to make it heard on campus, you know, get involved with student government, uh, alumni associations, um, or creating their, their own supports group. So, so I think that that self-advocacy is, is, is pretty, pretty important. In doing so, um, this may better enable um, their learning experience. You know, veterans have an, a, a prime opportunity here uh, to contribute to the social architecture in and around campus because this is, this is really new. You know, secondly, Veterans play a key role in, in shaping the understanding of, of our Canadian military, you know, at, at the local level um, through sharing their own experience with faculty, um, you know, who ultimately are witnessing the potential of, of military connected students or military, uh, you know, affiliated learners. You know, while this may sound like a, a, a tall order, I, I feel it's like through each interaction, um, that a veteran, you know, has with, with uh, their classmates, their faculty and their community, which will contribute to the overall understanding of military connected students. You know, the aggregate of, of these interactions contributes to an increased awareness, which, which we need in, in higher education in Canada, that surrounds both the, the student and the contemporary experiences of the Canadian Armed Forces. Why do I say that? We're quietly patriotic. Uh, right. A lot of great news stories, a um, lot of great um, uh, COVID response where our reserve element is being covered uh, as well as our regular force. But, you know, a, a lot of Canadians do not know uh, a whole heck of a lot about the Canadian Armed Forces. So, you know, yes, it is a tall order. Um, and, and this is an element that, that veterans um, in higher education can look to achieve. You know, I, I see this as a persistent, you know, public affairs campaign. So, those two elements, um, self-advocacy and, and shaping the, the local understanding, I, I, I feel that, that veterans can, can do that a, a little bit better um, in, uh, in Canada. You know, I'm glad you mentioned that because, you know, and without me knowing uh, any students, veteran students in Canada right now who are taking courses, I can tell you my experiment, my experience in the United States, uh, talking to students, there's something very similar there because you know often I will hear uh, people on campus say something around you know like I wish my professor knew me better, 
I wish, you know, the staff knew me better. I wish the administration knew me better. And then my rebuttal to that, because there is often, especially now in the contemporary uh, higher education settings, a lot of training being done and a, and a lot of talk about it on, on most campus, I mean, many campuses, not all, of course, but my question always is to that person, what are you doing? You know, how are you educating them? Because right. really it is, right. it is the two way street. And uh, if, you know, they have to know, um, they have to know what the needs are, the perceptions are, the experiences are. And really the only way to do that is for them to understand directly from the person that ultimately the, that they're serving, right? The, the faculty serving that student. You know, across the country, we have various elements, you know, within the higher uh, education sector that, that's starting to explore, starting to look at, at military connected learners um, where their experiences vary, you know, from, from um, fully funded research opportunities uh, to a couple of, of institutions who are, who are building support, academic and support frameworks, um, to exploratory committees. So it's how to tie those together, how to get the veteran involved, um, how to get them to, to do that self-advocacy and, and, and bring them on campus. Because ultimately, you know, hearing, understanding, facilitating the military-connected uh, student's voice will contribute to a, a positive learning environment for all, um, for that military connected student, for, for those classmates of theirs and, and you know, the campus writ large. So, um, you know, I'm looking forward, I'm excited to see these initiatives uh, take place in Canada. Um, and, and we just need to start to get all of those parts playing together. Absolutely, I, I would be excited to see it too. And it sounds like, it sounds like you're on the cusp of really big things happening. I mean, it sounds like you have the momentum behind you now. Some things have been put into place and now it's just time to build on, on what's been done and you know, capitalize on it further. That's right. That's right. That's excellent. I love that. So, all right. Now let's talk about you, Daryl. Let's talk about you, Daryl. Um, <laughs> Daryl, tell tell the listeners. Uh, let's let's get to know some of your service, sir. What what motivated you as as someone who comes from a, a quietly patriotic nation? What motivated you to join the army? And and you know you mentioned you were an army uh, infantry officer. Tell us about uh, some of your time leading troops and what that was like, and some of the things you did, and uh, you know all the juicy details. That's great. You know, um, military is a family business. Uh, my, my grandfather was uh, in, in World War II as, as an infantryman. Uh, my father um, served for, for 36 years. He started off in the infantry and then went, uh, went off to, to bigger and better things after he was done with that for, for eight years. Um, you know, so really I, I joined the, the army in, in following my, my father's footsteps, a, a great role model. Um, you know, my late father, I should say, a great role model um, who only had grade nine education. And, and I think his tenacity, his resilience, um, you know, he served during the, the Cold War, joined in the, in the late 50s, retired in the early 90s. Um, and, and following in his footsteps really um, empowered me and, and, and was that initial uh, desire. You know, at, at the time, I, I was a military child. I was a a military connected student myself as a young, uh, you know, young and in high school. 
we, we were in northern uh, northern Canada, and I encourage your listeners to, to Google this. Um, it's a place called Happy Valley Goose Bay. Well, while it's not in the Arctic, uh, it, it's quite isolated. It's in uh, Newfoundland and Labrador, and it's, uh, you know, back in the day when I joined in 91, we, we, we had to send off for, for the recruiting materials. You know, so snail mail, getting up to the north, all of that great stuff was, uh, you know, it was an interesting time. But out of, that, um, out of that recruiting package that I mailed off for right out of high school uh, was this iconic picture of Canadian airborne soldiers getting onto a herc and they're getting ready to, to jump. You know, my grandfather in the infantry, my dad in the infantry. And I said, hey, dad, this is what I wanted to do. He didn't tell me that I couldn't just join an airborne unit. That's, that's not how it works in Canada. Right. You have to join whatever your specialty is, you know, armored, artillery, engineer, infantry, and then go off and do uh, airborne, airborne training. Um, so he, he let me figure that out for myself. So I originally joined as a, uh, you know, as a teenager, as a private soldier, um, you know, and, and I spent uh, the, the first part of my career uh, in mechanized infantry uh, units, um, I made it to uh, to the to the rank of uh, into the ranks of senior NCOs, okay. um, and then I was asked to commission um, uh, a little later on, and and I, I certainly jumped at that opportunity, um, you know. So so then I uh, I became a, a lieutenant after training, and um, you know it was pretty good, pretty good, you know. My career is not unique in, in you know, joining as a, a private, being a, a senior non-commissioned member and, and then becoming an officer. Uh, but I did have the opportunity to go through some of the ranks. And, and you know, when I, when I commissioned, I, I recognized uh, the value of formal education because it would have a greater personal and professional impact. Um, so, you know, without a university degree in, in Canada, your, your career mobility as an officer is limited. I recognize that fact right away. Um, so I, I enrolled in the, in the Royal Military College of Canada. That, that's like West Point, the Air Force Academy and the Naval Academy all rolled into one. And, um, and there I, I started, you know, a geographically dislocated undergrad while trying to balance a career, a family, um, and, and obviously uh, all of obviously my studies, but, you know, I found that both, you know, intrinsically and extrinsically rewarding. It, it was great. Uh, you know, I, I didn't really have a, um, a challenge in, in completing that undergrad, um, because I just loved education, education so much. Um, you know, it wasn't until I was a lieutenant, um, that I got to finally realize my, my recruiting goal and, and finally go on that airborne training and, and jump out of planes and, and do that stuff. But, Perhaps that was a little late in my career to, uh, to start acting like a young guy again. <laughs> so, you know, my, my career was going well. Um, right. You know, I was content. Uh, my thing, things were happening, promotions. Um, you know, in, in Canada, uh, uh, I attained the rank of major when I retired. Um, where company commanders, uh, you know, were a little bit more seasoned than, than you know, your, your typical American infantry company commander. Um, and I was, loaded, I was loaded on our, our joint command and staff uh, college, the, the prerequisite to lieutenant colonel. And it was at this point in time that I, was, I found out I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. So, you know, not the most common diagnosis for, for somebody my age. Right. But being on insulin, you know, um, clearly I, I couldn't serve anymore. 
Um, you know, so, so I had to start, uh, you know, a bit of a planning process to, to think what was going to happen next. So I, I finished command and staff. And, and in fact, just three days after completing that, I started my retirement leave. Uh, you know, I believed in the military providing me an opportunity. I believed in seeing that through. Um, I also had an expeditionary mind, mindset. So after, you know, multiple deployments to the Balkans and Afghanistan, I couldn't see myself staying in the military and, and really, you know, not fulfilling that, that expeditionary role um, that, that I felt, uh, you know, an infantry officer sh should have. So uh, it was time to move on. Um, you know, I, I finished command and staff. I start my retirement leave. But, you know, in, in typical Army fashion, I started that planning and uh, looked to explore my options and, and then developed a plan. Just before command and staff, my, my last job was uh, directing staff um, on the Army Command and Staff College course, where we, we teach, you know, uh, senior captains and, and junior majors. Um, so, you know, I got a taste for education at that point in time. Um, I started to look to, to doing a Master of Education, and, and I, I, I completed that as soon as I, I left the Canadian Armed Forces. Uh, which was immediately followed by my uh, by an enrollment in in the in my doctorate of education. So with all of this coming together, you know, I was really influenced by by my father and and um, you know how well he did in his career with just a grade nine education. Right. Seeing that transformative power of higher education, you know, I, I felt those were my next steps, and and that was kind of you know my military career. Um, you know, in a brief, uh, in a brief nutshell. Well, that's amazing. And, you know, it, we're similar. So my father, my father was older than your father. My father actually served in World War II. I mean, he was so much older yeah. as a child. When we'd be on road trips, people would always be like, oh, that's great. You're with your grandkid. <laughs> and my dad would be like, no, those are my kids. <laughs> um, but he had an eighth grade education and, uh, you know, he was the, the son of an Appalachian sharecropper. And he was somebody who, after the Navy, did very well for himself. And I always admired that, like you mentioned, admire, admiring your father about that. And uh, I think one of the things that really stands out over all that he accomplished and all of his stories uh, is just his stories from the Navy, you know? And like you mentioned, it was a family business for you. I was a family business for in my family as well. And uh, so many people that I interview, they mention that as well. You know, it's a familiar, it's a familiar phenomenon. Right. Uh, and it's, that is fascinating to me. So you had a long career. You, you got to see, I mean, lower enlisted ranks, you know, NCO ranks, staff NCO ranks, got to be an officer all the way to, to the uh, rank of major. So you got to see a big kind of, kind of chunk of, of military life and, and those different phases and, and levels. That's really interesting. And I want to ask you, based on that, did you find yourself throughout those years in educational roles because I'm going to, my assumption is yes. And my assumption is that's probably what attracted you at least somewhat to education, but I could be wrong. No, you're absolutely right. Um, 
you know, the army, armies, regardless of nation, you're, you're either conducting operations or training for operations, you know, so, so there are a lot of parallel parallels, I think, between leadership and education, right? You're that mentor, you're, you're, you have to be, you know, especially in my time as a senior NCO, you, you had to be an expert, you had to be that technical expert and pass that knowledge on, right. um, you know, becoming an officer. Um, I, I, I did spend some time at, at our uh, National Infantry School um, where you're instructing and you're acting in that coach and, and mentor role, um, you know, followed by my time at, at the Army Staff College where, you know, the, the Staff College is where you, you go from that training element to more of an education element. Uh, our captain career level course um, is about six months long. There, there's a distance learning portion of, of six or seven weeks. The remainder is in-house. Um, and there's a natural break there where you, where you go from, from, from that training to critical thinking and analysis and planning and education. Um, you know, and I really enjoyed my, my time at, uh, you know, at the Army, Army Staff College. You know, I, I did have the opportunity. I myself didn't do um, the, the Canadian uh, Army Command and Staff College, a prerequisite to promotion to major. Um, I had the opportunity to go down to, to Quantico, Virginia, and, uh, and do the Expeditionary Warfare School for a year with the Marines. Um, you know, and that influenced me, me as well. Their, their professionalism, um, being in that schoolhouse, as they call it. Um, you know, so a lot of parallels between, um, between leadership and leading. And then, and then that natural path for me in, into education. So it, it wasn't a big leap. Um, you know, in grad school, when I, when I completed my, my, uh, my master degree, um, I was a bit of a fish out of water. I didn't come from a typical K to 12, um, you know, background. Um, but out of that, an unintended consequence, you know, being older, being have, you know, having had 26 years of, of, of service in the army, uh, faculty treated me a bit differently. There was right. more of an authentic relationship. Um, you know, and I, I feel as if uh, I was given a little bit more latitude and, and having the ability to be more creative and explore. Um, so it, it worked out, um, you know, just, just a, not a, a traditional role. So certainly those, those parallels and, and, you know, my time in, in our Canadian schools um, made that decision-making process a little easier when I was forced to, to leave the military unexpectedly, it seemed like a natural, um, you know, a natural place to land for me was in education. Right. Right. I mean, it definitely sounds like it uh, from, from the outside looking in here, it really seems like it too. So let me ask you something because this is unique. I mean, you definitely uh, show that the, there's this natural progression. And like you said, you know, you're always reaching down and teaching and mentoring at, at all these levels, especially the staff NCO level. But um, what is unique here is, you know, you had a medical issue that made you get out of the army early. I'm, I'm going to assume probably earlier than what you had expected, because it seems like you had a career trajectory going on. So how did this influence your next steps, how did that influence, you know, your desire to get your master's and then to go on further uh, and to get your doctorate? You know, all my eggs were in one basket. Um, you know, joining as that teenage private soldier, um, in not having an undergrad, 
And I really invested like a lot of people do, certainly not uh, a standalone story, you know, in the military and in the infantry, I really believed in, in what, and I still do, uh, in what we were, were, were doing. But when that came to a crashing halt, you know, all the, um, the, the resilience, all the, you know, the exploitation we're, we're taught in the army, you know, you keep pursuing the mission, you know, I wasn't certain, I wasn't going to, to stop at that point in time, you know, and, and looking towards education, I saw it as a, you know, fulfilling a unique role in Canada um, and, you know, in Canada, I can't speak for, for, for other countries, certainly. Um, there are a number of veterans who, who have gone off to academia in, in, in various forms, history, political science, uh, and the like. But very few veterans have gone off into education. So, you know, when I decided to do the Master of Education, not knowing exactly where this would lead to, um, you know, I thought I'd, I might come back to the Department of National Defense in some sort of, you know, advisory role or curriculum development role or, right. or management. Um, you know, I, I realized that there weren't too many folks who, who came from the Canadian Armed Forces who started to study uh, the role of training and education in terms of, of transitioning veterans, um, and then who decided to pursue a doctorate, um, you know, and, and just go that, that one extra step. So in, in total, in aggregate, I, I look at all of this um, as rearming myself and, and you know, um, being able to, to, to get back in that fight by contributing um, you know, I, I have a bit of experience on my side with, with, with the military service. You know, my doctorate will be, will be complete in the next couple of months. I'm pretty excited about that. Um, All right. And then, you know, big, big, big times here. Um, you know, so, you know, I, I, I see I'll, at least I'll have some, some, some academic credibility, although new, you know, um, the, the, the pairing of, of these two uh, skill sets, I think will position me to, to help out veterans, help out those military connected students who are trying to navigate, you know, what can be a very challenging and complex process in both post-secondary and higher education. Um, this is a gap in Canada and this is a gap that I want to fill. And, you know, it sounds like you're in a perfect position to do that. Uh, <laughs> there's so much need, there's so much need around the whole globe, you know, like I can't speak for other places, but like in the United States, there's a need uh, for more uh, veterans to identify themselves as faculty, right, and as staff and as administrators and as people who are going to be that intercultural go between and uh, and do the work from the ground up. It's it's the same here, and I think it sounds like your whole career, one has set you up for that in the army, but also you you know you did go from being enlisted to being an officer, and I know you're like well, that's you know that's nothing unique, but it is pretty unique. You know that doesn't happen to everyone, right? And so it seems to me like what you've done here in post service life is you've continued that push. You saw opportunities, you exploited them, the, you, you took them and you, you made the best of them and the same thing's happening now. So this, is, this alone 
minus all the other great things that I know you're going to bring, would be absolutely huge for any student to know about and to be exposed to? You know, I, I see there are a number of overlapping ecosystems, you know, between the military, between, you know, trans myself transitioning into that space. And I, with the, the release of the education and training benefit, you know, with a, a, a um, higher education looking into the development and taking care of veteran students, you know, there, there's a prime opportunity to create a culture, to create a student-centric culture that really helps and enables uh, veterans, to, regardless of the amount of time they served in the military, you know, to pursue that, that second career. Um, you know, and, and, you know, those overlapping ecosystems that, that I call them, they're complementary. Um, you know, yeah, sure, you're moving from the, the collective nature of military service to the individual pursuit of a goal. But all those human skills that, that military connected learners bring, um, you know, and as faculty and administrators and educators become aware, more and more aware of that, you know, we are, you said earlier, we're at the precipice in, in Canada. And uh, we have the opportunity, um, a once in a lifetime opportunity, to a generational opportunity to, to make some positive uh, change uh, for our, our learning environments. And, and you know, I, I'm excited to be, to be part of, uh, you know, vertical and, and horizontal integration on campus. You know, and this is why I started my, my own company, um, to, to try and, and do that. And, and, you know, we're, we're having some, some success in, in, in rolling that out. Awesome. Let's talk about that. So uh, your company, so what, what is your focus and, and how are you guys improving these spaces in higher education? You know, it, Luke, it goes back to, to understanding the gap that exists. And, 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 you know, I said, okay, how can we generate momentum? How can we raise awareness and then generate, get buy-in and then generate that momentum. Um, you know, so I just started knocking on doors. I started sending out emails, briefing notes, uh, plans to, to different colleges and, and universities. Um, you know, I'm currently working with, with three colleges, um, one of which I can announce publicly and I will, um, and, and I'm advising one university. Um, so for the last year, I, I've been working with a college in, in southwestern Ontario, pretty close to Detroit, a couple hours uh, north of Detroit called Fanshawe College, um, where we're developing an, an academic and, and social support structure. Um, and that just happened through, through you know, me reaching out, um, trying to find the right people, um, trying to assess the, the temperature of the institution, um, you know, and just doing a, a bit of research on, on you know, who works there, you know, what initiatives they, they have underway. Um, you know, very shortly, I'll, I'll be announcing uh, two other colleges in, in Ontario. Um, you know, so that appetite is there. And, and that's what I, I built my, my company on is, is providing that, that advice um, for educators uh, on how to, how to really understand and interpret military experience, how to translate it, and then how to, you know, ultimately retain and graduate, you know, adult learners. We know, regardless of, of, of country, we know the experience of, of somebody in the Air Force is going to be different than someone in the Navy. You know, someone in the Navy um, is going to be different than a reservist in the Army. 
So to, to translate those experiences, put the policies in place and, and really, you know, provide that sage guidance and recommendation for institutions, you know, that's what I do. So, you know, just recently, um, because the appetite is, is, is starting in Canada and it's really beginning to, to cultivate, um, I, I formed a partnership with, uh, with a non-profit, um, which helps veterans, a college and myself. And, and we were awarded a rather um, substantial grant uh, uh, to help uh, military uh, leavers, those, those, uh, those veterans who are leaving service, um, to, to go to college, get you know, that, that formal training, and then they'll get uh, apprenticeship in the skilled trades industry. You know, so all of these things have just happened in the last you know, eight, nine, 12 months. Um, you know, I'm doing it in conjunction with my doctorate. So times are, times are busy, right. um, but it's a good busy. It really brings me, uh, you know, that sense of purpose that, that I, I'm missing from, from leading soldiers. That's for sure. Well, and it definitely sounds like uh, if you're not as busy, you might even be more busy. <laughs> <laughs> now, let me ask you, are you able to kind of have your, your, your market focused business inform anything that you are researching or the other way around? Are you able to make those kind of work and get a little more return on your investment? Yeah, absolutely. And that was the plan initially, you know, as I started back up a little bit, I, when I started my, uh, my doctorate, I, I was just generally looking, I didn't know what the ultimate focus was. And I suspect that's, that was the same for a lot of people, you know, uh, doing their doctorate. But, you know, a few months after I started, Veterans Affairs Canada released this education and training benefit. And it was just a natural alignment of my interest, uh, my personal interest, my academic interest, and a gap that I knew that existed. Um, so it was kind of a dual track. I started to research. I started to formulate my, uh, my, my uh, material for the doctorate, the, the data, the information. Um, and then I started to you know, shortly thereafter. So my doctorate is running, you know, a few bounds ahead of my, uh, my consultancy. And that was purposeful. So I can at least have the, the, the data in order to back up what I was doing. Now, both things are kind of uh, have come together. They, um, and they're informing each other. Um, so my, my doctoral work certainly is, is this academic and social support framework that I talk of, but it's tailorable and it's scalable. Um, so the three colleges that, uh, that I work with all have different needs, all have different um, requirements. You know, they're all influenced by uh, the Canadian Armed Forces in different ways um, in, in terms of relation, uh, uh, geographic um, relation to either a regular force base or or the reserve component or where veterans live. Right. Um, so these two, these are also overlapping. Um, yeah, so, so that's where I stand on that right now. Very interesting, very, very. And um, so with your research, that is a, a, couple, a couple steps ahead, uh, ultimately, and, and you did mention that you're towards the end of it, the light is starting to peek out in the tunnel there. Um, Quantitative, qualitative, mixed methods. Yeah, certainly, it's uh, you know, it's uh, it's qualitative. Okay. Um, you know, 
this is an area that that Canadian researchers, educators, scholar practitioners um, really have an opportunity to do, do some good um, do some good research uh, here in the near future. Um, I, I know some projects that, that are just in the in the early days, um, but it, it certainly is an opportunity. So, you know, out of that, we we, we look to the, to the U.S. quite a bit. Um, we look to to Australia a little bit. Um, you know, to get a sense of, of that, that qualitative uh, data that, that comes out. Um, certainly some, some experiences overlap um, and it's good to be informed by, you know, the, the near 75 years of, of the USGI bill. You know, some things work, some things don't. Right. Um, you know, it gives us a good start state be, just simply because there, there's that lack of, of information in Canada right now. Um, you know, that, that's an opportunity I, I would like to pursue um, you know, is, is, is some, some initial research. Um, but, uh, those days are, uh, those days are coming. I, I'm, uh, I'm confident in that. That is very exciting. Very exciting. So Daryl, can you, can you give us a little clue in on what, what is on the horizon? So you're gonna, you're gonna defend this dissertation successfully soon. I know it. When, and what's next? Or can we see any publications from you? Are you working on anything that you can share with the public? Yeah, so um, we have an article coming out with a, with a co-author. Um, I'm the co-author. She's the lead author um, where, where we're talking about just, just raising awareness for, for military-connected students. Um, that will be in the uh, Journal of Veteran uh, Military Family Health. Um, and that will come out soon. I, I, I don't know when, when the actual publication date is. Um, so looking at that, um, I'm looking to, um, starting in, in August and September, um, I'll be able to publicly announce these other two colleges um, that, that I'll start working with. So that's going to take the, the, the lion's share of my time. And, and this grant I, I spoke of, of earlier, it's a one-year grant. Um, so we're kind of, uh, you know, we're not certainly uh, not swamped, um, but we have a very short time frame to produce some results. So, so that's keeping us uh, qu quite busy. Um, so while I'm excited for my, my doctorate to, to finish very, very soon, um, I'm excited to, to get to work. I'm excited to, 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 to start putting these um, ideas and thoughts and, and information um, into the right places in order to support veterans. Ultimately, you know, that, that's what drives me. Um, you know, that's, that's what interests me. And, um, you know, it's about forming those collaborations, in, you know, on campuses across Canada in order to, to support uh, the next steps for, for other, other uh, veterans who are just uh, one bound behind me. That is absolutely, absolutely awesome. Daryl? This has been great. This has been a great interview. It's been great to get insight on, on what's, you know, emerging here in Canada for education and for veterans and the area where those two things, people overlap. Um, I loved, I loved hearing about all your experiences and, and I really appreciate you being on the show, sir. Well, thanks for having me. You know, it, th this continues to, to, to fuel that, that educator awareness that, uh, that I speak of. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to, to having, uh, looking forward to seeing more Canadians on here um, and, uh, and really raising, 
really raising awareness across the country in, in such a needed uh, area that that's uh, full of just underrepresented uh, students. So, you know, thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. It's, it's my pleasure. And I know the guests are going to love to, or the listeners are going to love to hear you as a guest. And, uh, you know, if there's anything in the future, if that, if that article is published, then please send it our way and we'll be happy to, to, you know, make it available for people to read and download and hopefully cite and use in further research to help everyone out. Great. So ladies and gentlemen, this is another episode of Veterans and Academics. I'm your host, Dr. Luke McLeese, and today we were joined by our special guest, Daryl Cathcart, who is an enlisted veteran, an officer veteran, an entrepreneur, and a soon-to-be doctor of education. So again, Daryl, thank you very much, sir. Great. Thanks, Dr. McLeese. I appreciate it. We thank all of you for listening. Veterans in Academics is an all-veteran production of Freedom and Prosperity Think Tank. Content creation is brought to you by Dr. Luke McLeese and Dr. Michael Bevers. Web development is by Osvaldo Vargas.